Hello, my name is Liam Bird and welcome to the Punks in Pubs podcast. I hope you're well. I want to start off the pod by saying thank you to all the people who have stepped up and brought a t-shirt. Thank you so much. The money is going back into the podcast and the money I've raised so far will go to help me do something that I can't announce yet, but it's going to be fucking cool and it's going to be the first time we have done it and you can also be a part of it. It's something that I think you're going to enjoy, so thank you. You can support the podcast by going to pick up one of these t-shirts. They cost £15, not including posting and packaging, and you can pick them up on the Etsy website. Just search Punks and Pubs in the search menu, or if you don't really like Etsy, you can email punksandpubs at gmail.com and pay via PayPal. All I need is your address and a size, and it's a bit rude to ask for sizes, but that's how t-shirts work, and we'll get that posted out to you right away. This is something else we've not done in a while. Let's do a recap of what the podcast is about. I feel there's going to be a lot of new listeners to this episode because of the guests that we have. Uh, so let me talk a little bit about the podcast and what it's about. So Punks and Pubs is a podcast that I created Uh, after having a bit of a traumatic experience on my own. I used to work as a producer on the Radio 1 Punk Rock Show, and punk has always been something that I've loved. So I've decided to take my talents from that, and, well, talents, using brackets that you can't see me use my bunny ear quotes, and create this podcast that we call Punks in Pubs. Uh, You will find me talking to musicians like Dave King of Flogging Money. You can listen to that on episode uh, 29. As well as Frank Turner from episode 4 or Joe Talbot of The Idols in episode 12. Also, from time to time, I like to talk to other people that aren't musicians. So we talk to politicians like Kerry McCarthy from episode 5. Or brewers, for instance, like Sam McGregor from episode 25. He's creator of Signature Brew. So what I'm trying to say is literally we'll talk to anyone who has some kind of link to punk rock. Uh, Like the person for episode 34. Episode 34 is me talking to one of the co-founders of Eve Wrestling Emily Reed. Eve Wrestling has been hitting the headlines for all the right reasons as they positively showcase female wrestling and let their performers express themselves in a way that women wrestlers have not had the opportunity to in many a years. I thought we'll start off with a few facts about Eve Wrestling. Why not? It is the first professional wrestling event to ever take place in London that had an all-female wrestling bill. That happened in March 2016. Eve has also helped Kate Nash in her role in the fantastic Netflix wrestling show Glow. And its first ever champion, Eve's first ever champion, was a woman called Brittany Knight. More popularly known as WWE Superstar page for you wrestling fans who have downloaded this podcast hello welcome i hope you enjoy it but i'd like to state i don't really know that much about wrestling my wrestling knowledge is limited uh this is not a wrestling podcast but in this episode we do talk about wrestling and actually in past episodes we have weirdly talked about wrestling mainly theme tunes i i felt like i had to state that my knowledge of wrestling is a bit shit because there's going to be times where about people who are really into wrestling are going to hear me ask a question and they're just going to call me a cunt <laughs> just i can hear it so uh please keep that in mind if you go to the fucking comment boards don't need your negativity just all the positivity and just enjoy the episode with myself and emily so what do me and emily actually talk about well of course we talk about punk rock it's a punk podcast we talk about how emily was a late arriver to the the, the beautiful world that is punk rock and we also talk about the changing of language from punk bands in the 70s and 80s to now and how language has changed and how some of the bands from that era can seem a little bit old-fashioned or right-wing we also discuss the link between punk 
and wrestling as countercultures. And like I said before, we do talk about wrestling and Emily explains what a size a big man has to be in her eyes to be a big man. Uh, that sounded a lot more dirty uh, than it meant to. And we also discuss Emily's journey into wrestling because she is she's from quite a posh background and it's not many posh people who get into wrestling. So Emily talks us through that journey. But from that journey, we find out about the dark side of wrestling, uh, in particular for women trying to make it in the industry. Emily talks about stories of her being sexually assaulted. Emily also talks about wrestlers and trainers um, trying on and in one case that Emily talks about succeeding having sex with underage girl Uh, I've kept this story in because I feel it's a subject matter that is probably a taboo subject matter in the wrestling industry and I believe that podcasts are meant to be created to to push this discussion that probably doesn't get spoken about enough in and i hate the word mainstream media Uh, we also talk very frankly about mental health in particular emily's mental health and how it nearly took her life if you have been affected by either of these subject matters please do seek help there will be links up on the punks and pubs social media websites if you do think this could trigger something for you but you still want to go ahead and listen to the podcast maybe have someone around you or at least have someone on speed dial just so you can vent and release and and just uh, be with someone or hear someone that you love fair warning on that one but we do end on, on a positivity and that is eve wrestling and the work that emily and the women are doing over at eve and as well as dan uh, her husband who does uh, pop in every so often i've also tried to keep uh, the music to this episode wrestling themed um so you're welcome for that as always your band play out the show and this week we are in ukraine with a band called cardinal birds they are great fast enjoyable bounce around punk you're really gonna dig them but before that there's this people i present to you episode 34 of punks and pubs with emily reed i'll talk to you after our chat enjoy She's really rubbish at fighting, so, but she likes being shown that she is the authority, so yeah. she waits for the other dogs to poo and then pushes them over and that <laughs> and that is how she's become like the alpha dog with our other dog and with uh, my mother-in-law's dogs yeah. she just literally waits for them to poo and pushes them over and then they're traumatised sounds like your dog's a psychopath because like they're she's waiting for the, the most vulnerable yeah. and then she's like I can't fight but you know what I can push them over while they're taking a shit and I wouldn't mess with someone if I was having a poo and they <laughs> ran in and pushed me off the toilet I just I would be traumatised and also I would never mess with that person ever dogs <laughs> your, your dog's a psycho <laughs> so, really the, so the voice that you can hear there talking about dogs being pushed over while they're having a shit is Emily Reed. how are you? I'm good thank you good so thank you for doing this uh, we're in a pub in um I, I don't know where, where Bethnal are we? Green. Bethnal Green. That's it. So we're in a pub in Bethnal Green. It's a beautiful spring day outside. I love describing, so I think that's the beauty of radio, where you can describe wherever you are. I mean, we, we could lie and say that we were uh, in New York with the towering skyscrapers in front of us with a very large backfiring engine. It's not as good as Bethnal Green, though. 
No. I like Bethnal Green. Is this where you kind of raised or? No, I'm from I'm from Norfolk. <laughs> Do you know what? It's weird because there seems to be a lot of like people who love wrestling in that region of the world in Norfolk. Obviously, Paige is the big one, but yeah, like what uh, is it about? You know what, growing up, I didn't have any friends who watched wrestling. Oh, really? There's a really good music scene in Norwich, and I live just outside of Norwich. Hmm. But wrestling-wise, no, I just didn't know anyone who liked wrestling. I was, I grew up in a small village, although they'd kill me, because technically it's a town, but it's really a village. Uh, so they'd kill me if they heard me call it that. But I was the only one in the village who watched wrestling. You're the only wrestling fan yeah. in the village. And it's a very upper-middle class village as well oh, okay yeah and so and it's it was seen as like a lower class working class kind of entertainment so i just never really saw it i watched it all on telly there's still that kind of like persona as to wrestling though it's kind of like a guilty pleasure that people still don't really talk openly about like you watch wrestling why do you watch yeah. wrestling i blame the wrestling industry funnily enough for trying to cover up that it was fake for so long yeah and then people felt weirdly conned by it and they're still, if you tell people you like wrestling, they still feel compelled to tell you that it's fake. And you think, <laughs> well, you watch EastEnders or you go to the movies a lot. Yeah. Uh, and, you, you know, like Thanos, that, that click thing. I wasn't real, man. It's still real to me. Like it's that guy, real. Like that wrestling fan, he's like, uh, it's still goddamn real it's to me. It's still real to you. Yeah, yeah. But it's always with wrestling, the fake thing seems to really stick out there. And I do think it's because people try to cover it for so long. Because no one makes a big deal out of it with any other form of entertainment. No one feels the need after you come out of the ballet to be like, that wasn't real. (laughs) She's not even a swan. So no one feels the need to do that. But with wrestling, they do. And I do. the only thing I can think is that just for ages, people try to cover it. I think it's because it's legitimately difficult and tough and they didn't want to seem weak there's a famous louis Farouk documentary where he went and did some time with wcw and Mm -hmm. they put him through his paces when he asked the question like this isn't real though is it i don't think he was being disrespectful because he he wasn't at all and he saw that but it's just by asking the question he took it they took it the trainers took it badly yeah and they were unprofessional in how they acted uh, in my opinion it should have been the wrestling is hard and it is dangerous. Yeah. So it's certainly pre-planned, but also one of the most amazing things is it's not choreographed like everyone thinks it is. It's a few hours before the show people are putting together a mat. And that, to me, makes it even more wonderful and even, even more talented that people can do this. It could be someone they've met for the first time a few hours beforehand. They don't speak the same language and now they've got to go and put on a main event match. That's fantastic. That's such talent, such skill on so many different levels. They have to tell a story to an audience. The audience might not buy into what it is that they're doing. So then on the fly, they have to change it, but keep to the overall story. Yeah. Of so convey the same story but change how they're working and change how they're telling it they might have to do that that's tremendous skill but they heard the word fake and just took it really personally and I don't like that but didn't you think like growing up because my wrestling like history was well like when I was like younger so like the 90s early 80s and whereabouts it was like Bret the Hitman Hart uh, the Bushwhackers the Rockers like that was kind of my era of wrestling but I liked the idea it was real. I liked the like the, the the glass like the smoke and mirrors of it, believing like wow, like these guys. You talk about it in, in past articles I've I've read about you, where it's you talk about like superheroes yeah. and they're seen as like larger than life characters. 
And I liked the idea that Brett the Hitman Hart would get injured and his legs injured, but like, how can he ever like do the sharpshooter ever again? But he, he does it. Like, it's that kind of like emotional that I loved about wrestling when I was a kid. And I think if I knew that there, that was kind of like staged and it was parts of it was go okay, like the whispering in each other's ears while that's going along, I think I would have lost the uh, passion for it. See, my favourite film growing up should explain first. My dad had a really odd obsession that kids couldn't watch like Power Rangers and certain cartoons because no one got hurt when they were kicked in the head. And he was really insistent. <laughs> He's all about realism. Super, yeah. <laughs> so we could watch Bloodsport. Yeah. That was fine. Very Not fun. Power Rangers. Wrestling was fine because people would sell. Yeah. So my favourite movie growing up was Bloodsport. I loved it so, so much. And that's about a fighting tournament. Mm. So John Claude Van Damme and John Claude Van Damme, yeah. yeah. Brother breaks his spine. And oh the whole, God, it's the whole so, narrative. The, the whole narrative. I'm still waiting for someone every now and then. I'm like, please, can they pretend to throw salt in your eyes in a match? And then you can't see, and you grab the referee, and you put. I, I want that spot done in a match. If someone could do that, it'd make me very happy. So yeah, I knew that wasn't real growing up. I completely was aware that that was a movie. So to me, wrestling was always the same yeah. but I definitely thought Bret Hart was an actual superhero oh yeah like, it, it was the fog machine and the Bret and the little kid and yeah. they went and gave him the glasses for me I was like well he's actually a superhero then yeah. that's how it works Bret for me could have done anything and I would have gone he is the best man ever like he could have punched a child in the face and I still would have <laughs> done that child deserved to be punched in the face because Bret did it yeah, yeah probably yeah. would stupid kids <laughs> for those kids <laughs> say that there are two buckies outside <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm sure Brett Hitman Hart is not about to... Well, A, he can't run anymore. And B, the chances of him rocking up right now and punching those children in the face. That would be a magical moment for me and you. There are a lot of wrestlers around Bethnal Green. Are they? Do they punch children in the face on purpose? I like to think sometimes, every now and then. (laughs) Just like that that kid was... Well, you know what it is? It's if they're walking along, they're the perfect height for a big boot. (laughs) <laughs> um, so sometimes they just they can't their wrestling instincts they kick in and they're like I'm going to big boot that face in the kid the kid in the face that kid in the face yep yep I'll get there in the end <laughs> so we haven't even said like Eve wrestling is, is kind of like your background you and your husband who's right behind you uh, Dan <laughs> pretending not to listen but on his phone um, oh, he's, he's working um, he'll be answering emails and Talking to Japan. As talking to Japan, the do. whole country. Just hold Japan. The entire country. No, talking to... In the world of wrestling, stardom. Yokozuna is the guy who's answering... Is he dead? Did he die? He died over here. Did he? He yeah. died in the UK? Oh God, Just, what if we jumped to? I missed <laughs> yeah, the beginning of this. I'm like, what? It's gone. <laughs> I was, sorry, I was around that tour at the time, and the Sun actually did an article, and they tried to claim that he died because... He died in his hotel room, and they tried to make out it was because he saw a spider, and that caused him to have a heart attack. I have a feeling the fact that he was nearly 700 pounds was probably more closer to the fact of the reason being that he had a heart attack, but yeah... Had it been like 2002, something like that? 2001. Oh, 2001. That joke took a very dark turn in very quickly. Let's go snip. I guess that. So when I reached out to you, I, re- I reached out because I read a Guardian interview uh, article that was written about Eve Wrestling and the idea of it. It was a feminist punk rock celebration in the ring. And that's something that I've noticed since I've been reading about the organization. It's always been feminism punk rock wrestling in the ring is that something that you've put out yourself or is it something that's just kind of naturally organically grown 
I've always said that I'm a feminist and that it is about being strong women uh, and showing really good body image for other women and just having women there for their talent, not for their looks. And the fact that I know women's wrestling can be just as amazing as men's wrestling and almost even better because you never see those strong women anymore. Buffy's gone. Xena's gone. We need some, some women heroes. The punk rock thing, people just said... Uh, we had like, was it uh, the editor of Kerrang? I'm just sorry, I was just turning and asking my husband <laughs> behind me. People just started saying that we were punk rock. I think it's because a lot of, we're really grassroots, so a lot of our signs are painted on yeah. sheets. And you just, that's what I knew. That's how people did things. That's how if you had a gig and you needed something up, that's what you would do. And I think it was just that element coming in, the fact that standing up and speaking out about it, I would call out people... Um, if I thought what they were doing was bullshit, I would call it out. I would mm. call out sexism. And I think the elements just came together and that's what people saw. I think it fits. I think yeah. people saying it makes sense. Well, for me, I, I've never been to one of your wrestling events, but from looking on YouTube and also there's a fantastic picture, I think it was in BuzzFeed, where there's an image of a wrestler in the ring and all the fans are around the ring because you have no barriers. No. So the, so the, so the fans are like leaning on the, on the ring itself. Mm-hmm. And that instantly reminded me of like a hardcore show that I would go to wear a kid, as a kid where there's no barriers. Everyone's literally pushed up against the stage. And you're just waiting for that fury and excitement to happen. And that's what that picture kind of captured for me was that idea of going to a gig and that punk rock yeah. element of anything can fucking happen like, this is so exciting but I'm also a little bit scared I mean at a hardcore show I don't know if I'm about to get drop kicked in the face at, at an no, Eve it show is, it, it is your, when you come to Eve you are right there you are part of the show you are packed up against the ring and it's a performance uh, and the excitement and yeah all of that that energy mm. is right there and so yeah it does no, I don't know why I'd never... Because I always say that the ring is a stage. I don't know why I'd never seen it as, as like those, those gigs where you yeah. see where everyone's wedged up against the yeah. stage. I kind of left wrestling like when I discovered beer and women. If I'm completely honest, that's kind of no. when I left wrestling behind. But it's something whereabouts I've always kind of kept an eye on. And mm-hmm. I think I've always kept an eye on it because I feel it's in the same kind of... Not anti-culture, but it's in the same culture of punk whereabouts... If you saw someone in a crowd and you saw someone, say, in a GBH or a Rancid T-shirt or NoFX or whatever your bag is, you can instantly strike up a conversation with someone. Yeah. I feel with wrestling, if you saw someone in a Bret Hart, Roddy Piper, CM Punk to a certain extent, like you could instantly strike up a conversation with them. And I've always enjoyed that. I've always enjoyed talking to people who probably don't fit in. I'm using quotation marks for people who can't see. Um, and I like that element of kind of being the outsider, like, and you can find each other in a crowd. I don't know I about like you. That. Is that is that no? Something? I like being able to see my people. It, it makes it easier to identify. And as I said, I grew up near Norwich. There are a lot of football fans, and it would be scary going out sometimes and around. Um, uh, sorry, That's I'm okay. standing no, no, on no, you now. Uh, especially if there was a game on, especially of Ipswich were playing, and it was scary and there are also loads of office workers and people who would just openly heckle and mock you in the street and so it was good to be able to see people and it would be wrestling people or music people and you can see them and be like they're safe at least to go talk to or I know I would get on with this person I can go talk to this person I really like that as well 
talk a little bit more about wrestling later on, but I kind of want to talk about like music and what what like the love of your life of music wise. What is because I'm I'm like if I saw you in the street, I would go okay. That that person really loves punk rock. Like they've got like the studs, you've got the patches, you've got the hair, and but obviously that would be me kind of pushing my own uh, belief system on what your music is. And no, I, I mean it. It is okay. Cool. So so yeah. gr- so growing up, like what what were you listening to? What was like who pushed that kind of music onto you, or was it originally you didn't find punk until you were a little older? I didn't you... find it till I was a bit older. Okay, my dad was. It was always his music that played. And it was Motown. It's a lot of Motown. Yeah. And I actually really like Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye. And I, I like when Marvin Gaye was uh, speaking out more and his songs became more about activism. So I think I knew at that point that I wanted more from music and I wanted to see that. Uh, but because I then really got into wrestling and I love movies as well, for a while it was just listening to soundtracks. Yeah from films I liked and things like that. And then as I got older, I just really branched out and I started going out more with my friends and it just opened my eyes to like this whole amazing scene that I didn't know about. Uh, yeah, and to be honest, it was GBH seeing them and it yeah. just blew my mind. There's something about, I'm like, the energy here and I just, I just love it. And that was it for me. I saw them and just tumbled straight in what age were you when when you first saw gbh in my 20s so yeah. i was old yeah uh <laughs> loads of people when they get into that music they'll be yeah. they'll be there like oh yeah i was like 12 13 it's like i don't know how you but like with how remote it was where i live i don't even know where i would have found that music in the little village i grew up in i really don't jazz so, could find loads of jazz loads of blues loads of farmers just playing jazz rocking out to jazz Oh, we're farmers. A lot of farmers. <laughs> Completely so, standard. It's so amazing when you get into music, like with wrestling being its world and you can find your people. Yeah. I had no idea that music could be like that and it could be this whole scene and you could just fall into it. And that's what it felt like for me. It, it was just seeing these new songs and, and seeing this and then suddenly it had me and it grabbed me. And I'm an obsessive geek by nature. It's just how I am. So if I start liking something then I love it and that's it so my husband knows that all too well because we were friends and then we went on one date and I was like well I'm marrying you that's it I'm all in now there's so yeah. there's no backing out there's no half assing. oh no and, and it was literally I was that bad yeah. so yeah we started a family after nine months being together we were like we should have children now so, <laughs> just the next step. Yeah, there, let's do this. So, is that the same thing with like punk then? Was it like once you discovered a sound that you felt like kind of like, holy shit, what is this? And it was like, I am, this is it. This is, I, this is I me. was loving it. And then oh. I saw, uh, like, found Riot Girl and was just like, where was this? Yeah. Where, where was this when I was a teenager? Where was this? Just what is just amazing and how it's still going now as well. And it is, I find that. There aren't many. There seem to be a load of people now who are really still into the riot girl scene and really heavily against uh, first wave punk and, and GBH mm-hmm. and stuff. And I find that really sad because there, there are loads of feminists who are insistent that punk was all about male violence and all about uh, putting men first. But it opened the doors for women and it was a massive impact and it opened the doors for it being more about noise and the music and the energy and to me 
it was an amazing movement for women, but there seems to be at the moment like this big clash of people not wanting to blend. I, th- I think it's the same as anything, like any TV show or film or whatever. Sometimes it becomes a bit dated. So I actually I interviewed Black from the from the Dwarfs, who are a band who are renowned for just saying fucked up shit because they're, that's the band that they are. They they say yeah. fucked up shit and they probably don't mean it. Like it's I. I mean, Black told me he didn't mean. I I believe in that he didn't mean. Like when he talks about fucking raping children, like I know that Black doesn't want to rape a child. Like yeah. it's just it's just a persona of the band. It's kind of like wrestling. It's just a character of the band. Yeah, and there's like that kayfabe element where uh, in wrestling, a lot of people when they've got the character, they will maintain it everywhere. Yeah. Method yeah, yeah, acting. Yeah. Um, whereabouts with with those bands from like the eighties? They, they some of the words. So there's um. I don't know if it's GBH, but it's a band where they talk about queers and, and they, they use the words like that like back then would have been okay, but now it's like, no, don't say those words because they're disrespectful. It's just as people have grown, they, those words have just become less. Like they're yeah. not the same words. So. Soho, mate. Soho. So have I said it right? I don't know. Do you speak English? So, so right now, <laughs> a gentleman has come to the window and just asking how to get to Soho. And we are quite. You're gonna say, you're gonna say, so ho, so ho. Welcome to Bethnal Green. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you won't get that in New York. Pretty far away. Um, but yeah, anyway, so, so the idea of people outgrowing music and, and uh, I'm trying to get back on track. Weird. Please keep that yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, definitely keeping that in. That is definitely staying in. Just give um, people a real taste of Bethnal Green in London. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely... Uh, welcome to London. Uh, through the pub window. <laughs> yeah, just through so the pub window. Cool. That's what happens when the sun comes out, everyone's out, and everyone just feels like, hey, I'll shout off the thing that I believe in my mind straight away. Uh, people are like growing music. Yeah, people are like growing music. And, and like the, the, the... So, like, Friends now on Netflix, people are, like, shocked about how things that shit that Joey said in Friends, and, like, how could he ever say that? So, like, with GBH, where their prime was in the 80s, some of the shit they may have sang about, they may not believe it now, but it's a hit. So they kind of have to sing those hits. So I can understand why people will go, oh, no, no GBH. that's, for me, that's the big thing that I feel. I can see the disconnect and when it changed, and it's like watching old movies. There are some where you just can't watch them they're too bad and it's too awful and it clearly came from a hateful place yeah whereas there are some where you watch them and you can see like this is fine and and then that was okay to say now they definitely wouldn't say that and also looking at why punk then was definitely just to call not just but a load of it was about causing offense and to deliberately be offensive yeah and so a lot of that you can see like well they were just doing that to make a point that they could be horrendously offensive yeah so that's kind of like it's still working well done (laughs) (laughs) it started off as just kissing now it's a mess of sweat and a lot of limbs we didn't wait for a bell to ring we're unprofessional wrestling Springs that carpet burners gonna sting. I can wear a leotard if that's your thing. We're unprofessional wrestling. I don't even try to stop what looks like a figure four leg lock. I don't even care who wins. We're unprofessional wrestling. So, what was your first show that you went to? Because you said you got into like in your 20s. 
because I'm always I'm always interested about people who go to their first punk show because there is an element of danger around it. As in, if you're going into the pit, like it can be quite a scary place. You see fucking big guys with skinheads just like smashing it. And I'm I'm a slim, tall guy, but if I'm going in there, I don't want to go up against a fucking five foot six bouncer-looking motherfucker. Like because I feel I'm going to die. But it's that kind of mutual respect of if I'm going in there. You are not going to purposely want to hurt me. You just want to go in there and have fun and bash around. Like, what about for you? Did you did you have a fear of going into the pit, or was it you you're in elbows out straight away? I was running Eve by this point, so yeah. I was, and also I've been around wrestling from when I was nineteen. So for me, if I might meet a guy who's like six one, I'm like, oh, he's average tall you know <laughs> yeah. if i'm saying like that's a tall guy he's six five plus that's yeah. just how it works because it's just the the whole thing and when i'm being around wrestling this much it's just a bit different for yeah. me so seeing big guys they never intimidate me wheelie very a drunk give it like i put out a drunk cluster of male football fans and they will scare the shit out of me mm. give me a big cluster of tall muscly guys and i'm like they probably spend most of their time in the gym and they have their six portions of chicken for the day laid out at home. You know, they're, they're not scary. They pose. Come on. Yeah. Uh, but that meant that getting out to gigs and things, I've also got two children, just was not something that would really get to happen for me much because when I'm going out, I'm going to a show. I'm going to a show to either because it's my show or because there's a wrestler in there that I want to see and see what they're like. Mm. And if there's someone we could work with or I'm going to support my friends who it's their first show or something yeah. like that so the first gig that I actually went to was uh, Dream Nails and they're really feminist and they do the girls to the front movement so it's like there was nothing there it was really lovely really great environment not even a slight hint of danger yeah, yeah, yeah. and I do think just because of how wrestling is I don't think I would get that vibe of danger just because my uh, perspective is just skewed on yeah on you're around men. you're around yeah you're around big gentlemen yeah i'll be All like around. frankly they're wearing way more clothes than i expected you know <laughs> why aren't they in pants and boots grease them up <laughs> I think it's mainly sweat to be exactly. honest big sweaty men can't oil too heavily yeah dangerous so, <laughs> something that's always associated with wrestling is walkout music mm. and and the the power of walkout music so something like I don't know about you, but I, I when I was like really into my wrestling, I got like the compilation album of like Bret the Hitman Hart, and and there was an awful album where about um, Macho Man and Randy Savage rapped, and like the boss man would speak his words. Like it was just an <laughs> awful <Wood>. album, <laughs> so bad. Yeah, but I, I loved it at the time. And then like I've always kind of enjoyed a good wrestling theme tune. So for me, my favorite has always been Dusty Rose American Dream. I just love the build up of it, and then it's just like. Uh. Was wrestling music themes like a big thing for you? Is like a yeah, big part of the show? It was. That's the part. That's when you're showing the crowd uh, from like a business point of from my side now. Yeah. That's when you're showing the crowd, this is my character, this is who I am. And you've got to get it right. You've got to get the excitement of the crowd level right. And you need them to know from what you're coming out to, from how you're walking and the music that you're showing, they need to know who you are very quickly it is about them making a snap judgment obviously from there you can give them more detail and you can go on more but it's that snap judgment and it's that first impression and it's so important as a kid it's just like 
just cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just this person walking out to this awesome music, and it just looks really cool. And I don't think there's any more. There's a reason why boxers in an MMA, they're trying to copy it. It's yeah. because it looks awesome. It is amazing, isn't it? I mean, but what was it for you growing up? What, what theme tune did you love the most? Austin's. The, 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 the breaking the glass, glass yeah, and yeah, yeah. then boom, dugga, and dugga, it's coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. His, his theme music's the one that stuck. I thought Shawn Michaels used to make me cringe, but I loved it anyway. Just, just he's just a sexy boy. boy. He is just a sexy boy. <laughs> he's not he's, your boy toy. He, he, he's, he's, just sexy. He's, he's not your boy toy. That was a weird statement. Wasn't it? He's not your boy toy, but he could be my boy toy. He's, he's just a sexy boy. He's, a sexy he's wearing boy. like a, a mirrored top. He's in chaps. What wow, man? <laughs> Such a weird, weird that, image. That is the when you bring people in who have never seen wrestling, yeah. and we get it a lot with Eve. We have a lot of people who the only wrestling they know is Eve. So a lot, of, a lot of the first times they'll come to wrestling, it's the first thing they've seen, and it is that thing that we just accept as a wrestling fan, especially when you've seen it young. Hmm that to them is super weird. So they don't always expect people walking out to the music. They might not even expect that. But it's some of the ring jackets and the outfits. They're like, that's really, really odd. And you're like, that's, that's normal. They're just in a leotard. They've just gone that's, to their local S&M shop in Soho and just yeah. pulled out. They're like, no, it's not, it's not kinky. That's just, that's just, that's tough. It's tough clothing. I, uh, it's a lot of mesh. I went to... <laughs> So how did you get into wrestling then? You say, like, was it just that you watched it on TV one night? Or? As a kid, uh, I, I used to like hiding away in my room like any child does. And so instead of getting grounded, my punishment would be you have to come watch telly with your dad. And he would watch snooker, which was awful, and American football, and he would watch wrestling. And so the punishment for them wildly backfired because <laughs> I loved wrestling. Yeah. I just completely fell in love with it. Loved Bret Hart. Uh, thought he was amazing and so again like I say I'm geeky and I'm obsessive so I saw something I liked and I was completely there for it and learn every single thing that I could so when they used to do the bit where it's like don't try this at home were you like on your bed like jumping around no I did not try it at home no, no, <laughs> you, you followed the rules I followed that rule yeah. but I used to do karate and stuff I, uh, so I already had the element of knowing what sparring was like and so mm. knowing that it, it was tough uh, and there was that element of like because sparring is I suppose you could say similar and it being fake fighting in a way but you did get bashed around and you did get kind of hurt sometimes so I could see that connection but I wasn't really I didn't have any friends who watched it and so I don't really know who I would have just like, I suppose I could have wrestled the Invisible Man, which I never went for. I so. used to do it with a pillow, like See? wrestling. That is not not anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I was not creative enough to think I should suplex my pillow. Nothing better than drop kicking your pillow out of the window <laughs> for you kids out there who want to try that. Just don't sue me if you do it. What What made you believe that you could actually do this as a profession? Because the idea of going, I could do that. And then actually going to try and do it is a big step. And especially if you've got no one around you showing you that you can do that. Oh, I got told I could not do that. Okay. And I am that kind of person. Yeah. <laughs> really posh family. And it was just a no on every level. And I'm bipolar, but no one knew at the time. So, And because my family was very much that mental health isn't a real thing. Yeah. I lied on all of those tests that the doctors give you. So they diagnosed me with chronic fatigue syndrome. 
because I would have times where I couldn't leave the house and things. So they went with chronic fatigue syndrome. And so because of that, it was, well, you definitely can't do that. You can't do anything physical. And what I didn't know was a manic period. I just, I, I just knew I had loads of energy. And so I thought, motorbikes. And then I also thought, you know what? I have enough money in my bank account to travel down to Portsmouth and rent a room for one month. That's all I have. Yeah. I can't buy food or anything. So I should do that because that's a great idea. And there was the FWA Academy down there. So I just thought, yeah, no, I'll do that. That's a fantastic idea. So what's the FWA? FWA Academy at the time was the wrestling school to go to. It's really well known. It was actually just fortunate for me that it happened to be one of the safest schools out there. Yeah. And so I went there. It's the first school I saw about it. I used to watch the wrestling channel. And I used to get Power Slam and... Oh, was it past that? I basically saw ads in magazines, ads in programs at the shows I went to, and ads on the wrestling channel. And so I thought, well, that's the wrestling school to go to. So I literally had my one month's rent that included utilities yeah. and enough to travel down there. And I went and I just strutted into this flipping temping agency and I was like, I can touch type. And I just honestly believed that I would get a job, and I bloody did, which is ridiculous. I completely fluked it, but that was probably my biggest manic period that I've ever had. So a combination of um, not knowing that I was uh, manic and being told that I definitely couldn't do it and being told, like, uh, just because of uh, class reasons and for saying that I was too weak because of chronic fatigue syndrome. It was all of that that just made me think, like, well, I'm going to go do it then. So I did. <laughs> so it was during, from what I understand from, from reading, it was during that time in Portsmouth that kind of inspired you to do Eve Wrestling because of the treatment that you received and other female wrestlers received. Yeah. Could you, could you go into that? Absolutely. It, when I say I was lucky in that it was a safe school, I mean <clears throat> the, the trainer there, Mark Sloan, was not creepy he was not a sex offender and he never stood for any of that and the other trainers that I had there um who would come down for the seminars and things like Robbie Brookside and Justin Richards were again amazing and there were no issues like that the on the other side of it I was sat down by the trainees at the first one and some of these were guys who were working as well and told well obviously the people who can sleep with you are the wrestlers to start with the top card wrestlers to start with and then the mid carders and the lower carders then obviously the trainer can can sleep with you and then it's like us our level of the wrestlers and and then maybe the other trainees who have just started like you but probably not them so i was just told a hierarchy of who who had the right to sleep with me and so it was that then it was immediately being told stories about these girls who had done this and oh we call this person Kit Kat because we put four fingers up our ass and any girl if you told anyone any of this or that this had happened then they would start rumors like that about you yeah and they would get you blackboard so you never get to work anywhere or if you did you were going in knowing that people thought you would do all of this um sexual things and that was it I was told immediately well you'll get booked just because the promoter wants to sleep with you and just a load of these things were expected and the horrible stories and then 
With wrestling, with certain moves, you have to put your hand all the way through between someone's legs and up onto like their stomach area. You're, you're reaching under, and hands can slip. And everybody knows what that feels like if someone's like if you've grabbed someone by accident in the wrong area. That's a definite feel. Hmm. A guy doing that to me and shoving his fingers up into me with, like, so my bottoms went up inside me. I had, like, grazes from it, internal grazing, which is horrible. That's not a slip. Yeah. And everyone can feel it. That's sexual assault. Yeah, That's sexual assault. Someone, like, uh, grabbing grabbing your chest. You can feel the difference between someone just groping you and someone's hand slipping. And it was just constantly getting groped and knowing that if you said anything to the trainer, oh, well, this will happen and that will happen and you won't be able to be a wrestler and it just wasn't done. I know now that if I would have said something to the trainers, they would have been horrified and they would have stepped in immediately. And actually, Justin Richards, when he spoke about recently, he said he'd messaged his other female trainees. He didn't know it was going on and he was so angry and he just kept saying why didn't anyone come to me because hmm. he said to start with he saw me talking about it and he thought well maybe Emily's being a bit dramatic so he contacted all the women he trained and he was furious because he didn't know he didn't know anyone was, was being treated like that he didn't know any of that was happening if you would have told him he would have sworn line like maybe at other schools but never anywhere I've been but it was it was just that was happening women were being treated like that and it wasn't okay. And when they were put on matches, uh, put on shows, their matches, you would be told, do the diva stuff, do the hair pulling, do the cat fighting, do, uh, you know, slap them on the bum and do a bronco buster. And, you know, you're there for the dads or for people who want to have a wee before the main event. That's what you are there for. Yeah. You weren't given a chance to have a character. You were the catty girl or you were the peppy girl that was your character that was your match that's what you did and that's all that the women were being given over here and being sexually assaulted any woman that you've seen hang around and has been arrested for a long time is tough as nails the whole me too movement that's going on do you think that wrestling is is gonna have a kind of a spotlight on it i hope it gets more of a spotlight it's already helped with shift a few people away but not as many as should be there are still people who are working it's not my place to name names but they shouldn't be and I want them gone Yeah, and I don't like it the big thing for me with Eve is there was a trainee and she was 13 almost 14 and one of the guys who came up just started flirting with her and I, so I told him oh, you know she's this old because yeah. I really innocently assumed he didn't know uh, he knew so I got Dan who was uh, my husband he's a promoter and I was like can you really talk to this guy okay like man to man and just explain to him so Dan did and the guy was still flirting with him and I was like right can you do it and, and just be like you know what back off don't do this tell tell the person who's training her as well and I went and spoke to her and was like you know I know you might be flattered it's not okay though yeah. this isn't an okay situation for a guy who's that old targeting you and um it didn't work and that wasn't okay yeah you know what when she turned 16 he lost interest and that's none of that is okay yeah and i realized that we did everything we could and it made no difference and if you can't make a difference i figured we could make like an island 
we can make a place where it, that didn't happen yeah. and that I could control and that we could have more rules and where that would never happen. So with Me Too and it came out and people were talking about it, I, I hope it happens more on wrestling where even if we can't publicly do things that we can push people out who are uh, sexual, uh, who just paedophiles yeah. or um, sexually assault women and get them out. Just sexual predators in wrestling have no place there and they should be removed. There's so much talent, so many amazing people. We don't need them. So, yeah, it did help them. Uh, some people have been pushed out and there was some public uh, talking over a couple of people, but there's more. There I, is more. I mean, I'm just saying, if anyone's listening to this and, and you feel like it's affected you in any way, there are organizations out there to help you and also do speak out. It's the same as mental health. Speak out because there's people there Absolutely. who want to help you and you're not alone. And, and yeah, you, you're legitimately not alone. Women are also still being told that they'll lose bookings if they tell anyone. Uh, myself, uh, you can, I can always be contacted. My DMs are open on Twitter and I can always be What's contacted. Twitter My Twitter's Emily Reed Eve, R-E-A-D. Uh, or you can contact on the Pro Wrestling Eve one as well and just let me know if there's someone you're not feeling safe around or if there's something you need to get away from. Because as I say, at Eve, it's safe. And yeah. at the least, I can you can tell someone so we're aware and we can help other women know don't go around here. So that's. I wish we could do more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, and I was, I got so angry and so sad, and that anger is what helped fuel Eve. And it was we couldn't change, and we really, really tried. So we just we made a place. So was that always your remit then? Like when starting Eve, it was always going to be this is a safe place for women. This is where we're going to empower women. This is where we're going to show that women are amazing that they're everything that everyone else should know that, yeah. that they are to be that's what Eve was and, and going in we knew that Dan is extremely talented as not just a promoter but a helping put matches together and helping people become better wrestlers he's just really good at it and we knew that to start with he was going to be having to do a lot of work to, to work with the wrestlers because they had never worked more than the women's match, a lot of them. So teaching them how to work main event. And if you look back at our old shows, you will see a lot of them were people working twice in a show because that's the women that we had. And it was lots of people learning. So you can see Kaylee and Viper becoming amazing wrestlers and progressing. And Nikki Cross, she was Nikki Storm then progressing and becoming amazing because that's they finally had that platform and we were able to work with these women and help them really develop those skills which I loved because we all knew they could get to that level but no one was giving them the chance so yeah Eve was there to be a platform for them to be show everyone what amazing performance they were and it was to be safe
something we, we touched on a little bit earlier on was about mental health and yes. yourself. So Eve started in 2010 and then you had a break in 2012, is that correct? Yes. So 2012 break. The reason I'm bringing this up is because in past episodes we speak about, well, I've spoken about mental health because I feel it's really important that people who are listening to this are open about talking about mental health because Absolutely. myself, I've, I've suffered from depression and I've suffered, suffered through dark times and I still do. The reason this podcast is around, and as people would have heard this before, is because I had a bit of a shit time and I needed something there where that would bring me back to something I love, and that was punk rock. And also my back work in radio is like, I need, I need this to kind of help me continue. You went through a really dark time. I wanna, I'm not going to try and explain it for everyone. I'd rather you explain it. But you are now an advocate for mental health. You do talks and, you do, and you've gone to schools and um, I believe also you, you've done like... NHS talks is that right as well um, not an NHS talk but I do go in and, and talk to people and talk at schools and just yeah. try and help speaking about mental health yeah. and speaking about I suppose the darker side the side that I feel like isn't getting covered if you feel okay to talk about it it'd be great to kind of understand why Eve kind of stopped and then uh, we'll go back to I think it started back up in 2016 the truth is, I'm not very good at the dates around that time because I don't remember them. Yeah. Uh, I can say what happened. Eve was going really well and it looked like we were about to jump to that next level. We were, my husband and I also owned a health food shop and I was working as a nutritionist there. We had a lot going on and we were busy. And then things in life just happened uh, with stupid things someone just stole our business mm-hmm. and we're telling other people that we'd stolen their business it was just stupid stuff that at other points in my life I probably would have been able to cope with but not knowing I was bipolar not believing in taking anything for what I didn't what I was raised to be told wasn't real and could be treated through supplements and exercise and affirmations genuinely and crystals Mm -hmm. (laughs) and being told that that's how you handle things oh the dog's happy (laughs) (laughs) dogs help me with my depression Uh, being taught all of those I wasn't having any treatment and I broke and I when I broke I broke like good and proper breaking and I knew my mental health was not all right and I was struggling and I started thinking that maybe I actually really needed to talk to people and that maybe I I knew that I was not okay and I knew that how my brain was thinking was not normal and I also knew in the back of my mind funnily enough that when I watched Stephen Fry's documentary piece he did on bipolar I remember so clearly thinking when I was watching that oh that's me but then I didn't want it to be me but he just knew like when you see your people and you think oh I can talk to those people just how he was talking and how the people were talking I was like oh my brain does that that's, yeah. not, that's nice to know but I didn't want it to be true because I didn't want to have what I thought was a silly fake weakness about me I didn't want to be broken and that's what I saw it as so I was standing there in my shop that happened to be next to the doctor's and I was suddenly went from not feeling that good to really not being okay. And just to warn people now, I'm going to talk very openly about where my mind went at that exact time. And it's not very nice. 
but I locked the door, flipped round to the clothes sign, I got the box opener, and I just started slashing at my arms, realised it was not sharp enough for, for, for me to be able to commit suicide with it. So I knew that there was a train station, a really close walk. If I just went out the shop, turned to my right, I'd be at the train station pretty quickly. And I knew that the line it connected to had loads of through trains that they warned you about. So I was like, perfect, I'll go there. And I walked out the front of the shop and I locked the door behind me because I was being very considerate at this point in time. And this woman walked past with a buggy and a little child walking next to it as well, which is the same age as my children. And I saw her walk past and I thought I could go to the right to the train station or I could go to the left and to the doctor's. And I went to the left. I saw her walk past and I thought, I really don't think this is a normal feeling, even though I feel like everything will be better for everyone else if I'm just not here. And even though I can't cope with what is happening right now, I think I should go into the doctors. And I just walked in. I had, like, blood running down my arms. And I just said, I think I need to see a doctor, please, because I don't feel very well. And they were lovely I know they sat me down and they the GP that I saw is one of those softly spoken friendly GPs ah, yeah and he asked me to go back into the waiting room and I could hear him yelling through the door because the mental health service wouldn't come out and see me because I wasn't logged on with them and over and, and I was like oh he seems quite angry but at this point I describe it as it's like when you've made like a, a, something from sand, a sandcastle. And it's like I was holding the sandcastle and that was my brain. And then the sand dried and that's what it felt like. Mm. And my brain just went and everything about me just slid through my fingers. And the more I tried to grip it tight, it was just gone. And there was me with my hands out looking down at this pile of what was meant to be me right there. And that was it it was just gone I was just gone and I don't know how else to describe it apart from one moment I was there and struggling and the next moment it my brain had just gone on me and I felt whole world of crazy came out at that point like I, I reached my peak crazy is how I like to call it I had lots of hallucinations I don't remember that much um I don't remember that much. I know I got sectioned. I remember laying on my sofa and seeing at least four people in chairs spaced around and talking to me. And they were all being so kind. And then they asked if I would like go in the, in the car to the hospital. Just so they just said for a few days, which was three months. <laughs> and so I went there. And I remember the lady telling me she really believed that I could get so much better. Because I knew I wasn't very well. And that that really helped. And I was like, that's nice. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I went in. I was in there for three months. Um, I started working out. It's good. They have a gym there. <laughs> and a nun came round. I wasn't religious, so she taught me how to crochet. <laughs> it's really <laughs> odd. A dog came and visited once a week. Yeah. <laughs> it's, mental health hospitals are really odd in the kind of things that you do like people come around and check that you're still alive every half hour the biggest thing I learned in the mental health hospital which was a massive thing two big things one is to stop judging people because mental health comes in many shapes and forms 
and people that you would maybe judge seeing in the street as all oh, bit weird don't go near them mm-hmm. are quite often just unwell and when you see that person talking or frightened of something and backing away from something you know if they can see something they can see that mm. they're not pretending they can see it and you might think it's a bit weird or you don't know why they're shouting out but you know what if a demon was heading towards you you would scream and freak out to them that is what they are seeing in their world that is true and that is happening and it was to stop judging people who were having moments like that where they were ill in that way and the other one was to not be ashamed of the symptoms of my mental health it took them three months to diagnose me with bipolar I had bipolar 2 and they looked back through all of my medical records and tracked it back to when I was six and because that's when suddenly I started having massive chunks of school and all it would say is Emily was unwell and they couldn't figure out why Mm. I just couldn't get out of bed but there was nothing wrong with me and they were like that's it that's that's where it started and that's what you've always been like and it is when you look through my life wildly inconsistent and having chunks of time where I was ill and no one knew why so I learned to stop judging myself for what were just symptoms I wouldn't feel embarrassed if I had a cold I wouldn't feel embarrassed for coughing I wouldn't feel embarrassed for having a cut and needing stitches so I decided I wouldn't be embarrassed anymore that I self-harmed and that I struggled for a long time to stop that and that that was a coping mechanism for me for a long time I wouldn't be embarrassed that I was a woman in my late 20s who still self-harmed and who has self-harm scars when that's meant to be what emo teenagers needed to do because you know what it was just a symptom of my illness and a coping mechanism I wouldn't feel embarrassed that I left would regularly leave loads of washing in my washing machine for a week and I would just put in more washing powder and hit start again so that it wouldn't start to smell because the idea of taking the washing out made me feel so anxious that I couldn't cope my wonderful husband would stand and feed me chocolate as I was taking washing out the machine and tell me how proud of me he was. And he got me a tumble dryer. (laughs) (laughs) And he got me a tumble dryer, so I had somewhere to put it that didn't involve having to walk outside the house because I couldn't step out my back door into the garden. Just not being ashamed of yourself, because those are just symptoms. I just wasn't well, and that's what was happening. Do you look back now and go... I am proud of what we've achieved and what we've done and what we're going to continue to do. I look forward more than looking back. I am proud of what we've done. Every now and then we have to stop and look at things like we look at your call, we look at a thousand people in your call and we're like, God damn right we did that. And sometimes <laughs> we have to just take a moment to be like, you know, maybe high five and like maybe even form a special high five combination over how awesome that was but we mainly look forward uh, uh, towards how what more we can do and it's all about making bold moves and statements and really pushing the reason eve came back is because eve wasn't failing i failed i broke eve wasn't broken and to me though the wrestling industry stopped using the women and the all women wrestling shows that had started up with us running Eve, the other companies, they stopped as well when Eve stopped. Yeah, they and all fucking think they all see other people doing it. They automatically think, oh, if they can fucking do it, we can fucking do it. And well, it's not that fucking simple. No. So 
I felt like people were thinking that the women failed and that's why the show stopped. Yep. So I wanted to run the shows again so people would know. And then, me being me, I uh, ended up ring-announcing that first show and me being me, like, midway through, I thought, oh, well, I'll just tell the audience that I had a breakdown um, and tell them that that's why it stopped and that I was, you know, sorry to the women that that I failed them, that, that they stopped having this platform and we're back and, and they've got it again. And I just decided to say that because, of course, I did. It just seemed like a logical thing, but it, it was good because it actually helped us be able to say more, like, oh, and one more thing, yeah. let's stop all this sexist shit. We're not keen on that. So that helped, and it, it just kind of kept going from there. I mean, you talk about safe spaces. That was your safe space then. Like, that's where you felt comfortable, that you knew that you were around your people, so that you felt like, I can say... I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, but like, it, I'm mansplaining. <laughs> it's kind of like you, could, you, you were in that environment where you knew if you put it out there... You're not going to get any negative energy back? Um, I had Dan there with me. And kind of at this point, you kind of lose all of your fucks to give when you go full crazy. And there were just certain elements that just couldn't embarrass me anymore. And I could not be... I refused to be shamed over my illness. I just point blank refused. And that's part of the things I had to help me get better. Just be like, no, this happened. These are my symptoms. That is it. And I will not let you make me feel ashamed for something that I can't control. That is just an illness. And it it is something that happens to me. And that's that. I just wouldn't allow it. I hoped it'd get... That there wouldn't be any negativity thrown at me from that. But I didn't know. But I had Dan there. And I had my own stubborn-headedness and I had the girls yeah. and, I, and I knew that the girls would always have my back because they're a good group and it was one of them actually having to come out to watch the rest of the show and she was yelling from the back going you didn't let anyone down Emily Aww. you didn't let anyone down I was like no so that was nice what I didn't expect was for it to help anyone in the audience hmm. that threw me but I was really pleased it did and that was really nice and it's why we I decided and we decided to talk out more about things because it was even if it's just one person one person who when they next feel low says okay but it's normal for my illness to feel low and this isn't a normal thing that can happen and it is shit and no amount of motivational posters is going to make me feel better but it will pass or even just, I'm not alone. Mm. I'm not alone in feeling like this. If it could just have one person hold on, that that can, as cheesy as it sounds, that saves people. There's that one moment, you know, I turned left when I walked out that door because a woman happened to walk past with kids a very similar age to mine. Yeah. That one moment, that one thing. And it was just that one tiny moment. And if you can just have someone when they're that low and it's hit them, just for that one moment, be like, actually, maybe I can hang on just that tiny bit longer. It's a big deal. And I think more people should talk about it. I think less motivational posters and more, yeah, no, it's super shit sometimes. Yeah, the realism, just... just Speak uh, like Speak how honest. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm very aware now we're coming up to an hour thirty. Oh, so, sorry. so no, no, no. I, I'm glad we've had this conversation. Um, so, I, I kind of want to wrap it up in the sense of 2012 was clearly a hard time, but now 2018 seems to be 
going in the year, well, 2019, wrong fucking year. 2019, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know, right? I didn't even know. So I was like, yep, 2018, 2018, that's where we are. 2019. Hard times. So 2019, you've got people in the industry, so like Mick Foley, who's talking about you on social media. You've got Glow and Kate Nash talking about, like, Eve Wrestling is where about she kind of watched as understood wrestling from a wrestling fan's point of view. Yeah. You, you now have opened up whereabouts members of the public can come along and, and wrestle and, and just kind of enjoy it and see if it's something that's for them or just have fun, really. Being, a, being in an environment where about people who identify as women can like come along and just kind of be a group, be in a gang. Like, it's our girl gang. Yeah. And it's... Although, you know, at the shows, that is the big joke of our shows is it's a secret girl gang. But you have to tell everyone about our secret girl gang and everyone can come along to our secret girl gang as long as they're not an asshole. Just don't be a cunt. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we kick them out. I like to say don't be a dry, crusty cunt because I like to really emphasize just like no one wants that. Yeah. There's, there's maybe like one person with that fetish, <laughs> but pretty much no one wants that He's one. just in the back in the toilet. It's just in the back like, oh, I love a dry, crusty one. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> just this is going to be the end of the podcast by the way so that's Wonderful. what we're going to lean on love it leaving it at, leaving it at that <laughs> one it's using all of the skills you learn through wrestling our academy is for anyone who identifies as a as a woman and non-binary folk as well and it's for unlearning those skills that women are taught through their life we're taught to be quiet we're taught not to take up space we're taught to be timid we're taught not to be powerful and through wrestling you stand there and you yell and you shout you take up the whole space of the ring you tend to you get to be that superhero and we get to use these wrestling skills to help people and to let them let loose and i say you let loose that bad bitch that you've got in your brain because everyone's got that total badass who walks out to that entrance music everyone's got them in their brain and we get to let that one out and that's what like we do with the academy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've all got it. It's just we kind of keep them trapped in there. So with Eve Academy, with the training, we help people release that awesomeness. And with the shows, we provide somewhere where it's safe and you can yell and shout and scream and boo and let out everything that you've pent up and have an awesome night of entertainment. And for the wrestlers, we have that platform where they can get better and better and better and then be hired by WWE. (laughs) (laughs) If that's what they want. That's a great way to leave it. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for being honest and open with me. And thank you for taking the time to come and talk to me. to Emily and Dan for taking the time to talk to me if you have been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode please reach out to professionals who can help you like the Samaritans or the Survivors Trust Uh, I know that was a hard listen but I really did feel it was important to talk about these issues and I thank Emily for talking so frankly to me On a different subject, if you were listening to this interview and you thought you also want to drop kick people in the face, you can do that. Go to www.evewrestling.com and click training for all the information on how you can get some wrestling classes. And also go to the same website to find all the relevant information you need to go and watch an Eve Wrestling show. A must. I'm hoping to get along to one soon. That's it for this episode. So here comes the list. 
buy a t-shirt, go rate and review, tell four friends about the podcast and follow us on social media at Punks and Pubs. New music time. Playing at the podcast this week is a band called Cardinal Birds. They are based in Kiev, Ukraine. And this track is from their debut EP called Children of the 90s. And it's called Kill, Kill, Kill. You're fucking going to love it. That's it for this week. As always, if you're going to a punk show and you see someone fall down, you pick them right back up. Till next time, I love you. Bye-bye. Hey, ho, let's go. Hey, ho, let's go. Let's go! Hey, ho, let's go! Roger,